Charmaine doesn't want to make it too easy for you to nap while we're <laughs> while I'm preaching. First Thessalonians chapter one. It says Paul and Silvanus and Timothy Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God, from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come let's pray before we carry on Lord again we thank you for your word thank you that we can read it aloud in a group like this um, Lord, help us this morning as we look at this passage um, and consider the things that are said here and the things that we can learn um, and how we can apply this to our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would give me words to speak um, and just ask that you would guide everything that is said this morning and that you would work in each heart here today, Lord, that um, we would all grow through this time. We just ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the last couple of weeks I've been kind of going through a little bit of stuff about the church, about what a church is supposed to be like, um, how we ought to, to be as a church. Um, and I didn't plan for this message to land today, but this message landed today perfectly to go exactly with what Julie was presenting this morning. This passage describes exactly what Julie is describing happening in her community in Indonesia. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is that that is the model of what a church ought to be. This is what our goal should be, is to develop discipleship. We, we go out evangelizing. We need to reach people with the gospel. And we bring those people in, and then we teach them, and we disciple them 
And they, in turn, become the teachers and leaders and go out and start that process over again. It's because of faithful people doing that for 2,000 years that any one of us is sitting here today. But it's up to us to make sure that carries on. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. If we look at verse 3 of this passage, it says, remembering, even if we go back to verse 2, Paul is writing to them, he says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul is just introducing, he's just keeping, letting them know we are thinking of you and we pray for you. We give thanks to God for you as a church. Last week I mentioned sometimes one of Paul's passages that says name you know, greet the people by name. He wanted everybody named individually because he cared about every one of them. He knew them by name and he wanted each person to be greeted. And this is how his heart is towards this church as well. And he mentions them in his prayers. Give thanks to God always for you all. Make he mention you in our prayers. And this is the content of that prayer it says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father. He came evangelizing. He brought the gospel to the Thessalonian people. And they started a church. And exactly the process that Julie is describing in Indonesia took place in Thessalonica. They evangelized, they brought people, and they started gathering and teaching. And when Paul moved on to the next community, he kept in contact with that community. And he's been hearing what's been happening there. And he says, remember with those season, your work of faith and your labor of love. These people started working. They took up the torch. They took up, they just started doing what needed to be done to keep this church alive, to carry things on. They continued to evangelize. They continued to teach. And it's a, remembering your work of faith and your labor of love. Think of that. When we come to church, it's, it's not a labor of, it shouldn't be, a labor of duty. <laughs> it's like, oh, I've got to go to church. Oh, i got to. I remember we volunteered to clean our church one time, and it was not a labor of love for us. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's our turn again. And it, we almost dreaded. Not so much the cleaning, but it was almost like we were dreading that we weren't going to do a good enough job for somebody else and that they were going to maybe nitpick <laughs> about what we've done. And it took away the, the love for what we were doing. We, we offered to do it out of a love for the ministry, but it became a labor of duty and a burden more than a joy. 
But for these people, working in their church, working in their community, and getting that gospel out was a labor of love. They did it not as a burden, but through joy. And we'll see that just in the, in the coming verses, he speaks of their joy through problems, through persecu- persecution and trials. Um, verse 6, it says, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Listening recently to various preaching and talks about happiness versus joy. Happiness is dependent on the things that are happening, right? It's about what our circumstances, and if we get these wonderful circumstances around us, we get happiness. But joy isn't dependent on our circumstances. It's not dependent on what's happening to or around us or for us. Joy is deeper. (laughs) Joy comes from the hope that lays within us. And so when they received the word in much affliction, they still had joy in the Holy Ghost because they knew what they had when they received that. Even verse 10 describes what it is that they had, and it ends with, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And that's the joy, that's the hope that we have through Christ. That's the reason that this can be a labor of love. is because we just care so much that our neighbors, the people around us, can receive that same blessing. We see in verse 6, it says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord. Julie said it went from a mission of evangelism, just getting the gospel out there. And now when those people started gathering for their church services, it became a time of teaching and discipleship. And that is what we are called to do, is to be, to make disciples. I opened the service this morning with Matthew 28. I'm going to read it again the last two verses in Matthew 28. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And this, this passage contains evangelism. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. You're evangelizing, you're broadcasting the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The payment for sins, right? And in verse 20, it says, teaching them to observe. You're building disciples, you're discipling them, and training them of how they ought to live because of that gospel. Verse 7 and 8 
So, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. It's like Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus, they're out in the communities around them, and they're trying to preach, and the, the people have already heard. <laughs> we didn't need to preach, because you guys already did the job. Imagine if I... I John Sebolta lives just down the road, and last year, when you guys accepted me as your pastor, he suggested I start going through the community door to door and introducing myself. And of course, that came to a quick end with COVID. But can you imagine if I went door to door and at every house that I knocked on, yeah, somebody's already been here. <laughs> they were already telling me about this church and they already knew, right? They've already heard. What a blessing as a pastor that would be to, to know that the people in the church were already reaching and doing that job, right? And that's what Paul experienced, and that's what he's seeing happened in Thessalonica. Verse 7, again, it says, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. They, were, they became an example to everybody of what a true believer in Christ looks like. And a true follower of Jesus Christ has to become what Jesus was. And what was Jesus? He was a preacher. <laughs> he cared about people. Anytime We've been going through the book of Matthew, and everywhere he goes, a crowd gathers around. Why does a crowd gather around this man? Because he cared. <laughs> they know there's something different. He has something that I need. And he did. We looked at the feeding of the 5,000. And then shortly after, the feeding of the 4,000. And what, what did he say? He says, don't send them away hungry. You feed them. <laughs> we need to feed these people. We need to care for these people and take care of their needs. Spend time with them. And he spent time with them. They were together for three days straight, apparently without food. And he says, it's time to feed these people before we send them away. He has to move on because he needed to reach more people. But the people always gathered. Everywhere he went, a crowd gathered because he loved them. But did that mean he didn't preach? He preached constantly. He hurt feelings. He stepped on toes. <laughs> he told them what in their life was sin and what needed to change. And people changed. And that's the kind of life that we need to live. People need to believe that I care about them as a person. Jesus wouldn't have gathered those kind of crowds if he didn't legitimately care about each individual. And People know when you're sincere. People know when you actually care about them as a person. Not just doing my duty, preaching the gospel, telling them, 
see signs, see pictures of signs at different places. Christians thinking they're doing well, holding up a sign that says, turn or burn. And it's a true statement, but it's not a loving, it's not a, I care about your soul. I care about you as a person. It's just a, I'm doing my duty and I'm, right? Here's, I'm going to shove the gospel in your face. But it's not the way that Jesus did it. He did it differently. He did it by building relationships and caring about the person. And that's the kind of life that we need to live as a Christian. And we talk about doing, right? I'm talking about, as a Christian, we need to get out there and preach. We need to get out there and do good works. We need to live a certain way. We need to stop sinning. We need to stop doing the things that don't please God. So there's lots of do's and there's lots of don'ts in the Christian life. And the Bible is full of teaching while we, how we ought to live. But absolutely none of that will get me access into heaven. And Julie mentioned that this morning as well. It's not through anything that I can do that's going to get me there. It is simply by believing what Jesus did. Believing that I don't deserve it. That Jesus took that on him when he died on the cross. He took the payment for what I've done. I deserve hell, but Jesus didn't deserve hell. He, was, he died letting God put his wrath. And he ends with this in verse 10. Whom he raised, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come is eternity in hell as payment for the sin that I've committed. And the only way out of that is believing that Jesus took that for me. And there is nothing I can do to make that right with God other than believing that Jesus did it for me. People who have been in church most of their lives probably know all these verses by heart. I'm going to read them anyway, because not all of us are in that category. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, you have to look at chapter 2 instead of chapter 1 for it to say the right thing. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by grace through faith. Faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Not of works. Like, there is nothing I can do, no amount of good that I can do to get salvation, to get an escape from eternity in hell, except believing in that work that Jesus did. Acts 16.31 I mentioned this 
um, recently. The Philippian, nope, maybe the Philippian jailer. When Paul is in jail and they're singing and the gates open and everybody stays. And the prison guard, says, verse 29, says, Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's it. That's all. It's the only thing you can do. It's interesting, he says, and thy house. Because when I get saved, sorry, I'm going to make a change. My family is going to see the change in me, and they're going to, not every time, it's not a guarantee, but often, my family will also believe and be saved. Sometimes that's dependent on me doing what we're talking about this morning well, right? If I'm living as a Christian well, my family will see that. But if I don't, if I don't change, if I'm still a miserable, if I beat my wife, (laughs) is she going to be convinced that this is such a great religion that I've joined? Probably not. You can go one more spot in John chapter 3. I hope you know verse 16. But the following verses, I'll read verse 16 as well, but the following verse is where I want to really look. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's because God loves and cares, and he wants everybody to have that opportunity for salvation verse 17 says God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved he that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God people ask how can a loving God send people to hell he doesn't They choose it by rejecting him. His offer is for salvation. He says they're condemned already. His offer is that you can receive it and you can get forgiveness. And that's the message that every one of us, once you believe that message, it's your turn to spread it to your friends and family and neighbors. But that's not the end of the story for you, right? Believing that is not the end of the story. God wants us to change. He wants to make a change in our life and make us a new creation, a different person. I'm not going to turn to the verse, but in James chapter 2, he's talking about faith and works. 
And he's not claiming that works will save you. But he says, I will show thee my faith by my works. If I truly believe what God has done for me, it will cause me to act. <laughs> It'll cause me to change and do something and obey what the book says that I ought to do. It's going to make a difference in my life. I will turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. In the last verse, verse 18, Peter says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. It says, but grow. We need to grow. Once I believe, I now need to grow. We plant a seed in the ground in the spring, and we don't expect that planting it is the end of the story. We, we water that thing, we fertilize that thing, and hopefully some of us, if you've planted a garden this spring, are actually harvesting a crop now, right? <laughs> we have an abundance of zucchini. <laughs> Our neighbors are trying to offer them to us. And we're like, nope, we got lots, thanks. <laughs> what do you do with all this? And, but it's a result. There's an expectation of growth. And God expects us to grow just like that. And he says two things, but grow in grace. We call grace, when God's grace to us in our salvation is God's giving us something that we don't deserve, right? That's the whole message of the gospel is like, I can't earn it. I can't do anything to achieve it. It's through grace. God lovingly offers that freely through just faith, believing. And so we need to grow in grace. We need to emulate that with each other <laughs> as a church. And I mentioned to someone this morning, I almost dreaded coming in to the church today because of all the different views on what to do with the face diaper, right? <laughs> There's so many different opinions of whether we should or shouldn't or whether we should be obeying the government's rules on this and what we think of all that. There is such a broad view and such strong opinions that it is, it's literally ripping churches apart. And it has the potential to do that to us. And we need, as a church, as individuals, to grow in grace. And those, it doesn't matter what side of that you're on. You need to have grace with the other side with the other views. This isn't a salvation issue. This isn't a doctrinal thing that should drive a church apart. And yet, if you let it, it will. If you make this a major issue, whichever 
side you're on. If you make this a major issue in one way or another, it can split the church in half and it'll cause hurt and it'll weaken the ministry of the church and the witness of the church. We need to grow in grace. And that's just, you know, here's an example. It's literally in our face, right? And the other thing that it says is we need to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to open this book, read it, study it, find out what God wants me to do. How does God want me to live? And it's different than what, how the world lives. We were talking the other day. The Bible says he want, God wants us to be a peculiar people. The world should think we're weird. Not in a bad way. <laughs> Not too weird. But weird. We should be peculiar in that, why don't you do this or that? Why are you so caring to these people who are cruel to you, right? How do you have joy when everything around you is misery? That is the peculiarness that God wants us to have. And so that people will see us. And that's what Paul's looking at at the Thessalonian church. He says, you're in samples. You're an example of what a Christian ought to look like, of how God can change a person's life. And he says, you went from serving idols to serving the living and true God, right? That's the change that God can make in us. There's basically three, I'm sure you could come up with more, three purposes that I can think that are obvious for God changing us and wanting us to live this way. And the first is that it's for our own good. Just because it's in my face, um, Paul was at the neighbors last night and the adults were out next door and they're drinking and partying and they're loud and making a ruckus, right? And Paul's friend, who he's there to spend his time with, 14-year-old kid, can't go to bed because he's worried about the adults. He's worried about his aunts and uncles and his grandparents, and he wants to make sure they all get to bed safe that night. It's not the first time I've heard him say that. He came over one day and he's like, yeah, I was up till after midnight last night because I wanted to make sure my grandparents got to bed because they were out drinking. That's not a burden that a 14-year-old should have. And the Bible talks about not being given to wine, not drinking to excess, not getting drunk because it's for our own good. <laughs> not because he wants to take away fun. But all these things the Bible talks about that God doesn't want us to do, the whole sexual thing before marriage and outside of marriage, it's for our own good. 
It's because it's better for us. Our life can be better and happier without those things. We're not taking away our joy. He's giving us true happiness and true joy and a way to enjoy life in a healthy, productive way. And so it is for our own good. The second thing is that it's pleasing to God. I'll turn to to Romans chapter 12. Other passages say, Be ye holy as I am holy. That's God's purpose, is that we would be like him. Romans 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God wants us to be holy because it's pleasing to him. That's what he is. That's how he is. That's his design for us. And it pleases him when we live a life of holiness. And so that's a second reason for this direction that God gives us. And the third is more to the point of this morning's topic. It's an example to the world. Philippians 3, verse 17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. It's like when somebody is living the life that you see described in the Bible, the way that God wants us to live, living a holy life, you mark that person and you can follow that person. Live by their example. Look at the way they interact with people. Look at the love they have for people. Look at the life of self-sacrifice and follow that example. It's, it's given to us to be an example to others. And we see that that was his whole point in First Thessalonians it says, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your word is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. We are supposed to be an example to everybody around us of what, if we don't, if we're not different, <laughs> If we don't seem like we have something special in our life, why would our friends and family want that? <laughs> right? If, if it hasn't changed us and made us a better person, why would they want that? We need to be different. We need to change. When God comes into our life, when we believe in that gospel for our salvation, God wants us to change because he wants us to be an example. When I look out and I see, I see a lot more faces today than usual. <laughs> but all of this, I've been talking about the church and how we need to care for each other, how we need to build this 
cohesive family unit as a church, you know, most of that burden falls back on me. All of my preaching in the last couple of weeks has really fallen back on me because I need to make that possible. I need to lead us in that direction. And to make disciples, I can get up here and talk and not change or help you in any way. I can fill time week after week preaching sermons that mean nothing to you and don't help you in any way. But the burden falls on me to preach a message that can help you to grow, to learn, to make you a disciple, to equip you to be able to go into the community. Paul and Timothy and whoever else was ministering in Thessalonica, they did a good enough job teaching that they could actually leave and that church, those people, reached a broad area around them. And Paul came back and he says, I didn't have to teach them anything. You did the job. But you know what that means is Paul first did the job well there. He taught them well enough that they were then able to go and do it. And so, yes, that burden falls on me to teach you, to equip you to do that. And I hope that I'm doing that. And I hope that you have a heart to want to do that. Let's pray. Lord, help us to get this message, Lord. Put this message into our hearts. Let us look at the examples we have in Scripture. The entire book is full of examples that are there for us to learn from, Lord. Help me to be the example. Help me to lead in the way that you would have me to lead, Lord. Give us a heart for our community, Lord. And help us to spread that gospel message. Again, we ask your blessing on our time this morning. Ask us all in Jesus' name.